Move now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. If you got your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn with me back to the book of Matthew where we finished last week in Matthew chapter 13. And we was looking and seeing how Jesus' main emphasis throughout his ministry was on the kingdom of God and everything that he came to do was to establish, to advance, and to make known the kingdom of God where we're all headed one day through him and because of what he's done for us. And I want us to look at these three parables that are part of this group of parables in chapter 13 that he gave to us that are telling us what the kingdom is like and using things that we can identify with here on earth and using an earthly situation to give us an understanding of a heavenly truth. And if you look with me here, Jesus says, we're going to read all three and then we're going to pray right quick. But he says, if you look with me in verse 44, he says, again, he's already been talking about the kingdom throughout this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. And what he's talking about is the immeasurable value of those who realize the kingdom and enter in and find it. And friends, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in the church that have no clue what the kingdom is. They have got caught up in, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, but they don't understand that you don't wait to go to heaven to experience the kingdom life and to be part of God's kingdom plan. And if you look here with him, he's talking about someone who found the kingdom and they, when they sing the immensity, the the unbelievable value of recognizing there is a kingdom and they've seen its worth, they basically were willing to give everything they had to make sure they came and was able to stay part of the kingdom. And that's what he's saying if you look with me. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid for joy over if he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And then he says, and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price and went and sold it, that he may, he gave all that he had and he bought it. You know, what he's teaching and what he's saying that if someone does experience the kingdom, if they meet the king, one of the things that's going to happen is, it's going to make such an impact in your life, such an influence, that you're going to experience a desire to invest everything you have into where you're going to spend eternity. You know, if this is true, we're going to spend 70 to 80 years, usually, on earth. And we give everything we got for that little speck of time. When where we're going is where we're going to spend eternity. It's where we're going to get the biggest impact. That's why we should be investing and giving our life for the kingdom. But if you really observe people and you really even check your own heart, most of us give the majority of what we possess, time, our money, the things we choose to do on the things that here that we're going to pass away instead of the kingdom. And the greatest thing about the kingdom is that people are coming into the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom if we're saved. And we're called by God to help others because I want to show you not only the value of the kingdom, but the importance. You see, Jesus came and he showed us the kingdom and he inaugurated the kingdom. But he's coming back to establish it physically on earth 
at the end of this age that we're in right now, the church age, why we as the church are here representing the kingdom. In the Old Testament, the kingdom was represented through the Israel, through the Jews. And some people interpret these as this, the hidden treasure is the Jewish people, Israel. The pearl of great price is the church. Right now, there's three groups of people that God has worked through, is working through, and when Jesus returns at the end of the age, he will be looking to. There's the Israel. He's got a covenant promise with them through the Old Testament. There's the church that we have a covenant promise through him, Jesus. But then there's the nations that we're supposed to be reading. And I want you to see the importance of us being involved in the kingdom of gender, doing what God's got us here to do. And sometimes it seems like the most important thing that we're supposed to be doing is the thing we are the least involved about here on earth. You see, the greatest thing we're supposed to be doing is following Jesus so that he can make us a fisher of men and put us into this sea of lost humanity who is going to die and go to hell unless they're saved by the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And they're around us everywhere. And every day we in the kingdom have the kingdom. We're going to heaven. We celebrate that. And we spend more focus on this life than the one that we're going to. And I want you to see the importance because this is how it all is going to end at the end of church as we know it. You see, doing this one day is going to stop. Jesus is going to call us home. We're going to be raptured out of here. And he's going to be working now and looking into the nations in which we're supposed to be reaching at this moment. And look at this parable here. This is how important it is. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Boy, I'm glad that God's out there gathering every kind. Amen? He's, he, he says it's like fishing. He says we're supposed to be fishers of men. And listen to what he says. Which when it was full, one day it's going to be full, and at the end of the age, Jesus is going to come back. Look what's going to happen. When it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. Look what he says. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from amongst the just, and he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus says to them, have you understood all these things? God, I don't know about y'all, but any of you fish? When you go fishing, you're looking for the good fish, amen? Do you know there's a such thing as a trash fish? I don't know about you, but when you fish... You go fishing, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you catch the one you're looking for, you put him in the live well. He's a keeper, amen? Some of them you catch, you throw them back because somebody else might like him. Some of them are such worthless. You know what I do with them? There's this fish out there that I hate. He'll eat your men and make you waste it, and he ain't worth eating. So when I catch him, you know what I do? I throw as hard as I can on the edge of my boat, and he gets in the water. <laughs> Jesus is coming back one day, my friend. He's going to get all the keeper fish. He's going to put them in the live well of eternal life. And all the ones who aren't saved, who are not made right with God, is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, we don't like to think about that. That's why what I'm fixing to show you is of such vital importance. You see, the king came. He established the kingdom. He introduced himself. He said, the whole reason I came was to let you know that there is a kingdom, the kingdom of God. He began in the beginning, as we've seen last week. 
John the Baptist came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and be prepared for the coming one, the, the, the one that is the Lord. And when Jesus came, he said the same thing. He said, repent, believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand. It was there. And throughout the gospels, he's teaching and showing where and what the kingdom is. As a matter of fact, when you look in John's account, when Jesus was fixing to go to the cross and Pilate had him and Pilate was questioning, Pilate answered him. He says, are you a king? And Jesus said, yes, I'm a king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate answered him and says, therefore, are you a king? And Jesus said, you have answered rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And what is the truth? That what we're looking at, there's a kingdom. You know, after the king came and he taught and he gave us the four gospels, all the things that God thought was worthy to be recorded, to be placed into the canonical scriptures, everything about the life from the time he was born to the time he was crucified to the time when he rose from the grave till he was ascended back to heaven is recorded, the important stuff that we need to know that Jesus did, that Jesus taught, that Jesus lived out and exemplified for us. Why do you think that was put there for us? A lot of us just think it's for us to get to believe it and go to heaven. But friend, it's for us to use that truth, to use that example to become what Jesus wants us to be. We're still here. We're not in heaven yet. Jesus hasn't returned and raptured the church. So the plan for the church is to do what Jesus mandated and commissioned it to be doing until the end of the age when he comes back. Guess what? We're to be out there working that dragnet, amen? We're to be out there fishing for men and making disciples that go and do the same. When you get to the end of Matthew's Bible, we get to something that we've heard it so often, we're so familiar with, that we very seldom ever think about it, much less actually participate in it. But what did Jesus say after he died, after he was resurrected, and he revealed himself for the last time to his apostles who he had invested three years in, ministering them, preparing them, making them into the disciples he wanted them and needed them to be to carry on his purpose for his kingdom work. What did he tell them to do? Well, I'm glad you want to know that. I want you to look with me this morning in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of the Bible, the end of the book. The last things Jesus said after he had ascended, he told them, he set up an appointment. And he told them, I want you to meet me at this specific mountain. We don't know where that was done and how he told it to them, but we know somehow Jesus told them to come and meet me here because it's in here. He alludes to it. And if you look with me here, I want us to think about this. He says, then the 11, verse 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Jesus made an appointment. He's given them his last instructions on earth and what he would want them to do till his return. And look at what he tells them. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them. And listen to what the king says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, we hear things, there's a big distraction, and it causes a lot of things to 
happened that we seem to think we've heard there's been a mandate that we need to wear a mask and everyone argues about what a mandate is. So I looked up what a mandate is in the, in the dictionary and when I read it, I began to realize there's a mandate that we already have. <laughs> but this is what a mandate is. A mandate is an official order or a commission to do something. That's what a mandate is in its most basic form. It's an official order or a commission. That's why we call what we're fixing to look into the Great Commission. It's a mandate from King Jesus to every one of us if we're saved and we're members of his kingdom. It also is a commission by which a party is entrusted to perform a service. And guys, the commission has, the, God has commissioned us, the party is the church, and he's entrusted us to perform a certain service for him. And friends, listen, when you look at this mandate that we call the Great Commission, I want you to look at it. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. The heartbeat of Jesus is disciple-making. Not just getting people to come to church. Not just getting people to join the church and support the church. Getting people to follow him to the point you become like him, that you're so much like him, you're able to do what he did when he came. He's the greatest soul winner and the greatest disciple maker that ever walked on the earth. And he left only 11 alive. He took one named Paul who he found on a Damascus road and Paul came into the church and he discipled them. He led them and taught them to the point that they were able just like him to go make other disciples. I want you to see what he says here when we look. He says, go therefore, because I'm king, all authority belongs to me. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, we focus on that and we try to win people and we try to get them to come and to be baptized in the part of the church. But guys, that's just the beginning of making a disciple. And a lot of people don't go past this. But I want you to think about this. The heartbeat of Jesus is for all believers, my friend, all believers to become disciples. A disciple, disciples of Jesus are believers who according to Jesus deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him every day. Jesus said if someone were going to follow him, that is what they would need to do. He said they would deny themselves, take up a cross that is God's will, not their will, God's agenda, not your agenda, live your life for someone else doing something else instead of yourself. Guys, I want to tell you something, man. How many people do you think do we have in the church of America today that are disciples? But they all say they're following Jesus. <laughs> we all say we're following Christ. When we do nothing called going to church, listen to the preacher and go home, that's not discipleship. That's church. That's religion. Listen what I want you to catch here. A disciple is someone who not only follows Jesus because he's like Jesus, but Jesus didn't just demand us to be disciples, he demanded us to make other disciples. Do you know why the church is so pitifully poor and so ineffective at making disciples, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. And if you're not following Jesus to the point you're experiencing a denial of things in your life that you've given to him, why would you do that? Because that's how valuable the kingdom is. 
And Jesus said the kingdom is like a man who found a hidden treasure. And when he seen the value of the kingdom, he willingly went and gave everything he had so that he could make sure he kept possession of it. He said that the kingdom is like a precious pearl that a merchant whose whole life is about finding that perfect pearl, the one that everyone is looking for, the pearl that is more and above every other pearl you'll ever find, the pearl of great price. Why is it the pearl of great price? Because it cost everything. It cost Jesus his life. It cost us our life when we come to it. And he says that's what the kingdom is like. And the kingdom is filled if there's disciples with people who deny themselves and then they take up the cross, God's purpose for their life, and they follow Jesus every day. Friends, listen. Everything Jesus taught in the Gospels, everything he did was to produce a group of disciples who would go and make more disciples after he left. That's why he came. That's what he did. The primary job of the church is to advance God's kingdom by making disciples. So listen, the first step in making disciples is not just coming to church, joining a group, getting in a Sunday school class, having fellowship, learning some information about Jesus, and getting to know some spiritual truths. But no, being a disciple is following the example emulating the life that Christ shows us in the gospel, embracing his truths to the point those truths make you become like Jesus to the point you're able to give Jesus away. And friends, that's what he wants us to happen. What is the commandment above all commandments that would make that happen? Because listen, once we get saved, now you don't kick back and wait to go to heaven. Now you have heaven in your life, you're to give that away. You know what the church is supposed to do that we're not doing? We're supposed to be responsible to be like ambassadors of heaven. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. We're to be promoting and we're to be moving and we're to be giving away the kingdom principles and the kingdom truths. The things that Jesus left us and gave us, we're to be teaching others to observe them And friends, listen, the more a society and culture gets away from these things, the more it gets away from God, and the more it gets away from God, the more unmanageable and the more unable to live in it becomes. You see, the hope of the culture, the hope of society, is a church filled with disciples. Disciples that aren't products of society and culture, but that they're products of Jesus Christ and his word and they walk with him and they know him and they're able to serve him and give him away. And friends, listen, the first thing Jesus said to do after we get them to come and we reach them and we baptize them, he says, look at verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then the king at the end of the appointment makes an unbelievable announcement. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Have you noticed that at some churches, the king seems absent? (laughs) He ain't at every church in the same degree. And we like to quote, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's in their midst. He is. But he ain't like in the midst of two or three praying like he is when you got a whole church filled of people 
who are totally sold out to the kingdom and his agenda and are making disciples and they're following him to the point they deny themselves, take up his will for their life, their cross, and they're following Christ. I'm going to tell you something. That's where you're going to find the undeniable, overwhelming presence of Jesus. And that's why he's not showing supernatural things. Families aren't being changed. Homes are still in a wreck. Individuals are still trapped in things that they're captive to, that they can't get let go of. Friends, listen, God is not looking for a church that just shows up on Sunday to watch the Jesus show. God's looking for a church that shows up, leaves to go out and be the show of Jesus. And show the world what it's like to have him lead their life, have superior and authority over them, that we're submitted to him. Friends, listen, we can't just make Jesus a weekend project that we only go to on Sunday. Jesus has to be everything or he will never, ever give us what he promises he can give. And the church today is a lot like the church that Jesus met called the synagogue. It was all about the temple and the priesthood and Israel. But guys, the church ain't about us. The church is about him. And the church doesn't exist to do the things that we are in right now. The church is here to prepare for where we're going, the kingdom. Today, lots of people in the church, they can talk about all the things going on in the world. They're, they are all read up on everything else. You know, today, a lot of people, if we're not careful, we are much more prepared to debate political things going on today than we are spiritual things. We know much more about what Fox has to say than what the Word of God has to say. We know much more about, and we're much more involved with what's going on in Washington than what's going on in heaven right now. Let me tell you something. We're not here to keep America great. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. And friends, we are here to be more focused on that. Our primary agenda is not America. Regardless of what God's going to do and not going to do, I promise you a day is coming where America won't be great. America won't even be here. But the kingdom of God will be forever. Let me tell you what kind of kingdom we're going to get according to the word of God. Man, this right here will make you shout. But when you look with me in the book of Hebrews... Chapter 13, if you want to turn there, I don't know about y'all, but something about reading the Word of God just makes it a little more powerful to me. But when you look at what he says, he says, therefore, in chapter 12, verse 24, listen to this. This ought to make you realize how valuable and how important doing what the kingdom wants to do with your life, using your life for the kingdom. Listen to what it says in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... I don't know about y'all. When I look at America, she's pretty shook, amen? When I look at what's going on around me here, it'll make you shake, amen? And if you focused on that and your hope is in that and you're looking at that, friends, guess what's going to happen? It's going to mess you up. <laughs> friends, I don't know about y'all, but I love America, but I'm not really going to get over-worried about what happens to America because God's already decided and got that in charge. But friends, listen to what he says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You know, 
If we're all in this kingdom, and the kingdom should be the biggest influence in our life, how many people do we see today that is motivated by a desire and their purpose in life is to serve God acceptedly? <laughs> you know, most people come to church, if we're honest in America, not for what they can do for the church, but for what the church can do for them. And friends, if nobody in the church wants to serve God acceptably, then there's going to be times when people who can't serve, who are unhealthy are going to need help and we're not going to be able to help them friends when God saves you when he comes into your life and he delivers you and he fills you he says let us have grace why do we need grace we need what we don't deserve what we can't manufacture that we can only get from God that he only gives it to us not because we deserve it but because we need it and the grace of God that he pours out on us every day makes us able to not come and say, what a wonderful service, what great music. Well, boy, I love my church. It makes me feel so spiritual. It gives me the goosebumps. No, it's to come and make you be able to go out and be a disciple and go and make lives come to know God just like you. Look what he says, with reverence and godly fear. Guys, listen, what do you think the greatest commandment of all? It says in that verse, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded. That's what Jesus said to do. Have you ever looked in the New Testament how many things Jesus gave us to do? How many things he mandated and told us to do? Out of all the things in Scripture, what do you think is the most important thing Jesus wants us to do? In case you're wondering, Jesus has already told us. Does anybody have an idea what it is? You see, one day Jesus was asked that question while he was here from a lawyer, a lawyer who was a professional, who was an expert in the Word of God. And if you turn with me here back to Matthew, and we're looking through Matthew in the next few days and Sundays, y'all are very familiar with this story. They were trying to trick Jesus, and the Sadducees had failed, so a Pharisee, who was a lawyer, who was an expert in the law, he asked Jesus a question. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when it says that he was a lawyer, he was an expert in the law, it's not meaning like we think of a lawyer today. It means that he was an expert in the books of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Torah, the book of the law. And so he was an expert in it. And what he's talking about is not only the Ten Commandments, but all the other commandments that are in the books of the law. Leviticus. You ever read Leviticus? It's a hard book to read because it's all about the law. <laughs> and most of us, we don't really like looking at the law. And thank God that we don't have to be saved by the law, that we're saved by grace. But the law is still the ways and principles of the kingdom and how we ought to live. And so Jesus looks at him. He didn't hesitate. He just right away, Jesus says to him, he says, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's heavy. <laughs> because you got to love God. That's the greatest commandment. He says, because that's the most important thing to do vertically we should love God with everything we've got but he said the second one is much lighter horizontally we should love our neighbor as ourselves. then you know what he said 
Everything else in the Bible, according to Jesus, hangs on whether or not we do that. Every other thing, which means making disciples, coming to church. Look at what he says at last verse. On these two commandments hang all of the commandments. Love God and love people. The entire Bible, every word, every sentence, every verse, every chapter, in every book is dependent on us. Loving God and loving people or everything else we do is in vain. Jesus said all of the Bible instructs us. It, all of the, what it instructs us to do is attached. It's fastened. It's hanging on these two commandments. And guys, you ever looked at what God's version of love is compared to ours? (laughs) Jesus, you know what he did with the law? He was real bad about taking something that already we knew was difficult to do. And instead of making it easier, he made it harder. Someone asked him one time, and Jesus said, You have heard that you shall not commit murder. But I say, if you even look at your friend with love, with hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. You have been told not to commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already become an adulterer. Friends, you know, we look at right here, and when we look at what Jesus said, he said that the most important thing we do is that we love God with all of our heart and that we love one another as we love ourselves. You know, when I look at that and I begin to look at the Bible, You know, if we really love God with all our heart, we're going to do what he says, because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I wonder, and I say, I wonder why so many of us never even think about soul winning and being a fisher of men, but we ought to be proud to say, I follow Jesus. I wonder how many of us would be willing to say, I'm not a very good disciple, much less going to make a disciple, but we say, I've been following Jesus. Friends, I don't know about you, but... There is much more to this than what many of us settle for. Jesus never came and died just for us to come to church, hear a sermon, amen, and go home. And every now and then confess something that's wrong. He did something more. He came to make us something, to make us a disciple. And guys, a disciple is someone who is like Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, it is enough that a disciple become like his teacher. That's exactly what Jesus said. If there's one thing I can promise you when we look at the life of Christ is that Jesus kept the law, amen? He never sinned, which means Jesus, when we look at his life and we look at his example and we look at what he taught is a perfect representation of what it means like to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He did everything for the Father. He never did not obey his Father. And guys, listen, also... Not only did Jesus love us more like himself, he loved us more than himself. He gave his life for us. And that's basically what loving our neighbor as God wants us to love them is. As a matter of fact, when we love our neighbor the way we're supposed to love our neighbor and put him first, the Bible says that's the only way we can keep the law or any law. If you was to look with me in Romans, in Romans chapter 13, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
So listen to what he's saying. He said, don't owe anybody anything except to love one another, for if you have loved one another, you fulfill the law. And then he names out the commandments, and he's naming out the Ten Commandments, and he's not naming out the commandments that have to do with our vertical correction with God. He names out the commandments that it does with our horizontal commandments with one another. But guess what? If you keep the five commandments that say, do not use God's name in vain, do not have any idols, to have no other gods before you, Keep the Sabbath. You can do all of those, but if you don't carry the ones against your neighbor, not only do you sin against your neighbor, you've sinned against God. Amen? I want you to think about this. How we treat our neighbor is directly connected to how God feels we treat him. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment so Paul got what Jesus said every commandment in the Bible hangs on whether or not you love God and love man because Paul said if there is any other commandment all are summed up in this saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself and then he says love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law and you know I look at what is going on today And look at how quick we don't look at our neighbor and realize that everyone doesn't think the same, everyone hasn't been through the same. And a lot of times our neighbors may not think and may not be like us, but we're being called to reach and love everyone. And guys, when you look, that tells you what it means to keep the law, the greatest two commandments. But when you look at the life of Jesus in the book of Philippians, Paul gives you a picture of what it looked like to do that. Jesus did it. And you know what the Bible says? It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind, let this attitude that was in Christ Jesus be in you. I don't know about you, but if we're going to be good at making disciples and discipling people and being the disciple makers and accomplish the objective of the church, we're going to have to do more than what to tell people to do. We're going to have to do more than have the right information, even though it be true. If you don't have love for God and love for the person you're trying to reach, they don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And friends, how do you get, show them that you care? You put them first. And boy, we ain't good at that in the church anymore. You see, I don't know if you understand it, but it's God everyone else than us (laughs) if you really look at how God's son loved us the mind the attitude that was in Christ Paul tells it to us right here listen what he says therefore if there is any consolation in Christ if there's any consolation one translation says if there's any encouragement what it's saying if, if you are in Christ and there's any consolation of what it means to be a Christian and if there's any comfort of love if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy of Christ is in you, fulfill my joy by being, and he names some things. Listen to what he says. He says, by being like-minded. He says, not only to be like-minded, but he says, have the same love. All of us, being of one accord, of one mind. What he's saying when he's saying being like-minded, he says, let all of you think alike. Let all of you have the same type of love. That means not only do we love the same things, but we love in the same way. Does that make sense to you? 
Your definition of love doesn't matter if it's not God's definition of love. And friends, listen what Jesus said about love. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love those who look like you and think like you. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in the kingdom of heaven. See, we're supposed to be look like our daddy. And I don't know about y'all, but listen what he said God does. This blows your mind. He says, for he makes the sun rise on evil people and on good people. He sends the rain to the just and the unjust. You ever heard that saying? It ain't raining. They must not be paying the preacher. Amen? <laughs> but that ain't true. I promise you. He rains on people who don't pay the preacher. Amen? Because God is an impartial God. He treats everyone the same. He loves everyone the same. He says, for if you love only those who re love you, what reward do you have? Friends, if we're going to win the world to Jesus, we're going to have to love liberal, progressive Democrats. Who needs Jesus more than Washington, D.C.? Who needs Jesus more than anti-Christ people who want to promote all the immorality and all the ungodliness and who are power hungry and it's all about them. But friends, if you judge them and you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and you fight them in their way, you will lose every time. And the church is not winning them. We're losing more and more people. The church is shrinking because it ain't what the church knows. It's what the church is that's going to win people. We've got to be disciples. We've got to be like Jesus. And friends, listen what it says about what Jesus was like when you look in Philippians. It says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that means in humility, thinking low of yourself, let each of you esteem others as better than himself. And when we think we're better than them, when we think that our morals and our lifestyle, which it may be, but the only difference between us and them is we met Jesus. We got grace. We had eyes that were opened. We're no longer in the darkness. We've seen the light. And God did that for you. You didn't do it for yourself. And they need what you got more than anything else. Let me tell you what he goes on and says right there. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's just what Jesus did. And guys, there's some things that happen in life that you can't figure out. One of them I want to talk about for a little while because I fear that there's enough stuff. The church is distracted in the days in which we live. I'm telling you, we're distracted. We're not about the agenda of the kingdom. We're not about soul winning. We're not really about disciple making. It's not an important thing in our life, in existence as the church. So we're distracted. Would you agree with me? But once the world gets you distracted and once the enemy distracts you, he doesn't stop there. He uses that distraction to divide you. And I'm here to tell you today, if there was ever a season 
in the life of the church, when the church was divided, we are divided. We're divided over music. We've got enough things to divide us already. We're divided over theology, and I'm not here to say that some theology, yes, you've got to stand for. There's some theology that is worth fighting for. You've got to stand on sound doctrine. But guys, where did we end up with Calvinist Baptists and Arminian Baptists? I ain't found that in my Bible yet. And where did we end up with liberal and conservative? I agree that we should be godly. We should be righteous. And then when you do that, you don't have to wonder if you're a liberal or a conservative. You're what God wants you to be. You're a disciple. But it goes on and it goes on. And it goes on. If there's something that can be used by the enemy, the world, and the lost nations that we're supposed to be reaching to distract us and divide us, it'll land in the Baptist church, I'm here to tell you. Because the enemy knows that when we're not distracted and we're focused on following Jesus and doing what Jesus wants us to do and let Jesus take the things out of our life that don't belong there, we deny ourselves and let Jesus put the things in our life that do belong there. We take up the cross and we go with Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me. No, no one goes. I will still follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. You will make a difference. But when you sit in a church pew and you come to church and you base your spirituality on how good the preacher makes you feel, on how good the music is, friends, you will never make a difference because the kingdom ain't looking for them kind of people. The kingdom needs people like Jesus who puts everybody else first. I'm so glad he put me first. He went to that cross. He didn't deserve to go. He didn't have to go. But he went. Friends, listen, people who have the kingdom ought to be just like him. And friends, I think about what's going on right now. And that's just another thing that the enemy has placed within our nation. And it's this COVID. COVID should be putting on our knees together. COVID and what's going on should have us at an altar. And you don't care if he's a Calvinist or if he's Arminian. You don't care if he's liberal or more liberal than you or if he's more conservative than you. You just care that he would be able to go to an altar with you to beg God for mercy that we don't deserve, for grace that we can't earn, that he might heal our land, that he might change our hearts. But what are we all worrying about in the church? Mask and no mask. Vaccines and no vaccines. Friends, if you're not paying attention, vaccinated Americans and non-vaccinated Americans are dividing us even more. Christian churches that wear masks, Christian churches that don't wear masks. If you bring it up, it'll get people upset so quick. But it's here. It ain't going nowhere. They said this is the fourth wave. I feel like I've just been on a tsunami for about a year and I don't surf. I'm ready to get off. Amen? I've had enough of this ride. But there ain't no getting off. So what do we do? We got to pull together. The last thing we got to do is separate. Now I want to ask you, we got brothers in Christ that do believe in getting vaccinated. Does that make them any less in their faith, any weaker than yours? Does it make you a superior Christian in faith? Does it make you more mature because you don't get vaccinated? Ain't got nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. It ain't got nothing to do with your faith. There's churches all over today who wore masks. 
Now I'm saying, which one's going to disciple? Which one's going to reach the nations that are lost and going to hell? Which one's going to reach people who don't have faith? I don't like wearing a mask. I hate wearing a mask. I don't wear it, but I wear it to go to China Buffet. I wore it to get in a hospital. And if your child got sick and you had to get in that emergency room and you was worried if he was going to die, if you're any parent at all, you'd put that mask on too. And if you're Baptist and you like to eat like me, some of you know what I'm talking about. You put that mask on. You know what God showed me this week? Man, it was over with. You didn't have to do it no more. I went to my favorite Chinese restaurant over there on Pine Street. And I know them people and they know me. When I walk in, they say, water and lemon by yourself. Come get your spot. How you be? How you be doing? That, that little white man comes over there. Hi, Brother Michael. He knows I'm a preacher. I've talked to him and I've witnessed to him. I leave him good tips. I've left him tracks. And friends, you know, when I showed up there, I was halfway there and I seen a big sign, please wear your mask. You know, there was a lot of me. I'm rebellious. I want to just go in there and say, I ain't wearing a mask. But I went back to the truck. I got my mask. And when I walked in, you know what that little lady said? I don't know if they saved or not. But she looked at me and she says, thank you for wearing your mask, sir. You know, that lady's just trying to make a living. She's trying to keep the economy going. She's trying to serve us. She's just trying to keep her business from closing. And when we say, I ain't wearing a mask. I ain't supporting them. Anybody wears a mask. Is that Christ-like? Is that the attitude that Jesus would have? I'm just asking. I ain't accusing. <laughs> when you say, I ain't doing this or I ain't doing that, when we belittle by putting things on Facebook that make jokes of vaccinations and make jokes of the things that some people look at as to for their security, you don't win them to Jesus. You push them further away. You know, the greatest example that I have heard out of how we, I think we should react to the mask and the vaccine, we should do everything we can we all in Christ have liberty to make a choice to either get vaccinated or don't. And so far in America, in America we have a choice to either get vaccinated or we don't. And I don't support mandated vaccines. I don't think the government should tell us what to do when it comes to our personal body. And the mask, I, I haven't been someone who promotes the mask, but I'm going to tell you what, if I have offended, if I've made anybody uncomfortable about wearing a mask, in my attitude, my mind, the things that comes out of me and how I love God and how I love you and how I'm supposed to represent him, I want to apologize because I would never, ever, I want you to know at this church you can wear a mask, you cannot wear a mask. You get vaccinated, you don't get vaccinated. We love you in Christ. But friends, listen to this. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have a superior spiritual maturity that we have a better faith because we don't need a mask. And if we're not careful, we can make someone who does wear the mask, who does depend and trust in that vaccine to feel inferior. Because let me tell you the greatest example I've seen, looking at Jesus, the Bible, Paul said that, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. He said that who he, he didn't put himself first, he put everybody else first. And you just heard what it says. Brother Nick's church, little church no one will ever hear about, but God knows it's there. He put it there. He filled it up with disciples that love him. 
that love each other. And they country folks like us, they don't want the government interfering in their life. I know them. I've been around them. Them mugs would rather walk 20 miles to kill a turkey than to walk two feet and get a check from the government. I'm here to tell you. They country folk. They independent. Brother Nick, you know, last year had leukemia. And he went through chemo treatments. And the doctor told him, you and your wife both need to get the vaccine. I highly recommend it. And whatever you do, do wear the mask. Because I'm not saying, I'm just telling you that with your situation, you don't need to take a chance. Well, he didn't have to go back and tell his church. When he got back, his church came to him. And they said, Brother Nick, we don't care what Mississippi says. We don't care what the mandate says. Whether Mississippi wears a mask or not, we're going to wear a mask. We already decided every Sunday because we don't want you to get sick and we don't want you to have to worry. We just want you to be coming able here and preach God's word to us and pastor us and worship with us. So, Lord, don't worry about it, Brother Nick. We are going to do the mask. Which would be more in the spirit that would exemplify the attitude and mind of Christ? Go home and pray about it. That's all I'm asking you to do. We better be real careful with this. We don't need to take precautions. We don't have to be careful because, friends, I want to tell you something. You may not say our pride. Pride is very hard to recognize. But, friends, listen. Pride always comes before a fall. We can get this stuff Good friends of mine have loved ones in the church that are sick right now. This is stuff is, you can believe it's real, you cannot believe it's real. But there's a lot of people that don't have to wonder no more if it's real. It came to their door. The least we can do is take precautions. The least we can do is show people who are scared, and there's a lot of people out there who are scared right now, that we care about them enough to at least take your temperature, to at least social distance. I'm going to ask you for the next few weeks until this next wave goes away. I'm just praying for the tsunami to end, amen? But I want you to think about this. We got people who would come if we would be more accommodating to them, if we would make them feel more welcome. And I don't know about you, I want all people to get saved. I want all people to be disciples. I want all people to come and be in the kingdom, not just maskers and non-maskers, all of us. So it's not just about you and me in this church. There's a bigger purpose in this. It's about people that get saved and come into the kingdom that aren't part of the kingdom yet. And I'm not saying that we can compromise and wear a mask to win the That ain't what I'm saying. But I am saying we take into account how they feel. Because I'm going to get on the other side for a little while. We have a right not if you are a supporter of the mask and the mainly the vaccine. I know the more that people get vaccinated, the less people are unvaccinated the more we're going to start to look like a bad guy to some people. And you're going to get persecuted in America very soon if you won't get vaccinated. You're going to get talked about. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be misrepresented. 
But no matter how misrepresented you be, we can't misrepresent our Jesus. No matter how mistreated you can't be, you can't mistreat people who don't have Jesus. We have got to overcome evil by doing good, not succumbing to their own level and their own thing. No matter what we read on Fox about the non-vaccinated threat. <laughs> you see, a lot of people are blaming this next wave on those who won't be vaccinated. Now, I do believe God decides ultimately who gets it and who don't. But he does give us wisdom, discernment. He does help us to use our brain to a degree to do what's best. And guys, I'm going to tell you what, it's always best to be like Jesus. We can do everything we do here, but if we don't love God and love everybody else, it's all in vain. Everything that God told us to do hangs on how we trust and love each other. That's my heart. I ain't going to be on this soapbox again. I'm moving on. We're going to preach. But I am going to ask us when you come next week, honor people. If someone's sitting with a mask, don't go hug them. Don't go, hey, don't go coughing on them. Let them. Let's, let's go ahead. You know, we, we really did good back when it was really bad, and we've been very fortunate. God has spared us. We haven't had anybody in our church that regularly comes hospitalized. Say, don't say that. I, do you believe in God or believe in love? Because <laughs> you've been telling me you believe in God. But we did things. We humbled ourselves. We did take temperatures. If someone showed up with a temperature and we caught it, that could be the difference of it spreading in our midst and shut this down for weeks and people getting how come that, that, that's not really a sacrifice in my book by social distancing i've seen everybody hugging and kissing now how many of you went to walmart this week and did you wear a mask be honest you'll wear your mask to walmart but you won't wear your mask to church do you think that makes sense to jesus because we got what walmart don't have <laughs> and friends i want you to understand something if you have any feeling about wearing a mask, you will not. We, we accept that. I want you to. Let me know if I have in any way, because that's what I think Jesus would want us to do. And friends, some of us have told me, well, it's the first step. The first step in compromising. We do this, we do the vaccine, next thing we'll be taking the mark of the beast. Do you think we're going to prevent what the Bible said is going to happen? by whether or not we comply and don't comply to a mask or a vaccine. I hate to tell you, but whether or not you comply or not, the mark of the beast is coming. Because the nations, the world, have ejected Jesus and truth, and they will be deceived by the Antichrist, who will say he's God. I thank God, I believe that it's coming, and I'm not worrying about the mark of the beast. You know why? What I think the Bible teaches is that we ain't going to be here. That's going to happen during the seven-year tribulation. If you're pre-trib or whether you're mid-trib, you got a pretty good chance of realizing that. When it happens, we ain't here. Praise God. So I'm not getting all caught up into that. My personal choice is not going to prevent or cause the mark of the beast. I hear that all the time. But I want to ask you something. If you go tell that to a lost person, they don't need to hear about the mark of the beast right now. They need to hear about Jesus who hung on a cross, who shed his blood, who gave his life so that they can have life. And even if you catch COVID, it'll be okay, amen? Because you're going to be in the kingdom with the king. But they don't have that. 
And if you go to telling them all this stuff, you're not helping them. We need to win people to Jesus. You know how Jesus said you win them? You love them. You love them because I loved you and you loved me. Today I'm asking you, let's respect everybody. Let's not let another division come in the body of Christ over something as dumb as vaccines. And I'm not saying vaccines are dumb, but that'd be a dumb thing to divide over because we've divided over worse. Carpet colors, chair colors. Don't think it can't happen. Watch out. Today, what I want to do is extend an invitation to the kingdom, amen? If you ain't never been saved, friends, I'm telling you, if COVID don't get you, something else will. One day, I can promise you, one day you're dying, you're going to leave. And people who die without Jesus don't go to the kingdom. They go to the fiery pit. That's what the Bible teaches. That old dragnet's pulling today. Would you come to Jesus? Would you give your heart to Christ? Would this be your day of salvation? I'm asking for the Lord. God, you're not coming to me. You're coming to Jesus. You're not joining a Baptist church. You're coming into the kingdom. Amen? I'm going to ask you today because one day we're all going to get sick and we're all going to die. But we're all, if we have believed in Jesus, are going to live forevermore. That's a good deal. And I want to invite you, but I want to remind everybody else that the most important thing is not winning a political argument. It's sharing the good news of Jesus. So let's be about that. And let's let that other stuff, pray about it. It's worth keeping an eye on it. But don't let that be our priority. Our agenda is the kingdom, not keeping America great. God's going to do what he wants to do with America. All we need to do is our part, to love God, love people, serve the kingdom, advance the agenda of the kingdom of Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to have a time of invitation. If there's one among us that's not saved, that's, Lord, he's undone, he, he has that, that disturbed feeling of undoneness in his spirit today, I pray today, Lord, you bless him and draw him and by your grace save him, help him to, Lord, publicly profess that I am giving my heart to Christ. Right now as I speak, Jesus, Give them the ability to believe that you died for their sins, that you were buried and you rose again and you lived today. And if they'll just trust you and come to you, you'll be with them forever. So, Lord, help those who need to be saved today to come and to do what they need to do. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to quit letting things distract us and divide us. And, Lord, help us not to lose direction, but to let you be our direction, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and to not turn to the left or the right, but to stay the course and to run the race, fight the good fight until the end. For there's a reward waiting for those who love His coming and His appearing. For everyone who's waiting on the King, serving the King, looking for His coming, Lord, there's hope. Lord, I pray today for each of us that we would make that the priority of our life. Just like you, Jesus, we'd be about disciple-making, winning souls. Help us to be that way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to come, come. The altar's waiting.